whistleblower report exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. This is Dr. Lee for America here with another team of our whistleblowers who are bringing you the truth about the lies, deceptions, and all of the assaults on our way of life, your freedom, and your life. For such a time as this, we are here to bring you truth, hope, and solutions. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, for medical help, legal help, and all of the other resources. Join us in our Faith Over Fear seminars each Tuesday night via Zoom at 8 o'clock Eastern Time every week. And now, here is your host for today. Welcome, everyone, to another Faith Over Fear and holding the line on our faith as we face all the fear-mongering in the news. And of course, I'm Dr. Vleet. I want to welcome all of you to another program from Truth for Health Foundation. And tonight, I'm excited to bring you a program with someone in Texas who founded the American Honeybee Protection Agency. And I'll tell you the story of how I came to meet Walter Schumacher in just a moment. But I want to also let everyone know that tonight's program will be focused on the threats to the honeybees and how that affects our survival as well. And in fact, the survival of life on the planet. Next week, Kathy Kresnick, our Director of Health and Resilience, and I are going to present a program on the medical and health benefits of honey and some new data about that that we've been able to um, collect and want to talk about. I mean, most of us have known since childhood that our grandmothers and great-grandmothers used honey for its antibacterial properties and using it for sore throats and coughs, and even at times putting honey on wounds because of its antibacterial effects. And the fact that it, that it is has been used in wound care, it's been used in a number of medical applications. And some of you may have even read about using bee venom as an anti-cancer approach. 
But there are new developments as the research has progressed in understanding the complexity of honey that we'll be talking more about next week. But this week, we're going to focus on the threats to the bees and including not only the geoengineering going on in the, in the skies that we did a program on a few weeks ago and things that all of us have been concerned about, but the impact of GMO foods and how that affects the bees, electromagnetic radiation and some of the adverse effects there as well. There are a number of scientific papers on that that Kathy and I've been looking into with regard to our EMF radiation guide. So lots to talk about tonight and next week. And I'm honored to have Walter Schumacher with us. Gladys, would you like to open the program in prayer with gratitude to God who created the environment and created the magnificence of the honeybee? Sure, thank you. I'd be glad to. <clears throat> thank you, Father God, for bringing us together tonight. Thank you to our guest speaker, Mr. Shoemaker, for sharing her knowledge with his knowledge with us, dear Father God. We pray for your seal of protection, for your grace, for your love, dear Father God, to for all of us in our country and around the world. Our fellow brothers and sisters that are suffering, who are desperate for your peace and your love, dear Lord, and who feel no hope, be with them, Father God, and lift up their pain and bathe them with all your love. We choose to put our trust in you, Father, and lift our eyes to you because your help is comes from you always. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So let me tell you a little bit about how I came to meet Walter Schumacher. One of my patients, uh, actually, um, toward the end of last year, I, as I recall it, it may well have been around Christmas time, sent me a gift of Texas wild honey. And, and I thanked her for it. I was excited to get it. But in my old school thinking, I had always been concerned, as much as I love honey, I'd been concerned that eating honey by itself would contribute to more insulin resistance. And so I, I had been reluctant to get started on eating honey again. Well, fast forward to this year when Epoch Times ran an article, can honey help treat diabetes? And I thought, whoa, I need to read that. And I need to understand what they're talking about here because that was not the traditional teaching. So given the fact that I very much like to learn new things and stay up to date on what the science is showing, I started digging into it and I started checking all of the references 
that the reporter had used for the Epoch Times article and reading the medical articles and really was quite amazed at what the studies were showing about in diabetics improvement in glucose, hemoglobin A1C, and even lipids, which we'll talk more about next week. So then I decided, well, maybe I should rethink this avoidance of honey. So I got out the box of the Texas wild honey and I started using that for my sugar, tablespoon in the morning on toast and a tablespoon in the evening. And two, three weeks later, I did my own labs. Cause you know, I think you all have figured out, I like to objectively track things. So I did my own labs and lo and behold, my fasting insulin had always been normal, but it was lower than it had ever been. And my glucose, fasting glucose was 79, which was also really good. And my triglycerides were down. I've never had high cholesterol or high triglycerides, but they were down. They were better. And I thought, this is really interesting. So that's what led on a journey to dig out more of the information and to call, try to contact the people at Green Tsunami Foods and find out more about their honey. And that's when I found a phone number for Walter and was able to reach him. So in 2006, the story is that Walter created the Central Texas Bee Rescue and personally opened his own property to the bees of the local citizens seeking an eco-friendly solution to their unwanted honeybee infestation or swarm issues. Since colony collapse disorder had not been diagnosed by that time, there were still many people baffled at why someone such as Walter would get in a bee suit in 110 degree weather in Texas, it's the heat index in Texas, if not the actual temperature, during the summer just to save some pesky wild bees. Yet, through working with the wild bees and beginning to understand the depth of their beauty, their intelligence, and their keystone role in our ecosystem, Walter developed an unbreakable bond with the honeybee. He even realized, <laughs> smart man, he even realized that the bee suits in the dead heat of the summer would kill him before the bees did. So he eventually just stopped wearing one altogether. Please note, he and we are not necessarily advising that, but no. once you become bonded with the bees, you may feel safe in doing so. Knowing the magnitude of the role that the wild honeybees play in our ecosystem, Walter was baffled by why traditional beekeepers continued to kill off unwanted infestations or swarms rather than remove and relocate the bees. It was this line of thinking that led Walter to realize that the key to saving the wild bees was to integrate bees and beekeeping into urban environments, which we hope will be a lesson for all of you that might want to take action in your local community. This epiphany directed him to do even more about the inevitable extinction of one of the world's most important pollinators. And in 2012, fortunately, 
prior to some of the recent assaults on the environment, he established a 501c3, the American Honeybee Protection Agency. That same year, the American Honeybee Protection Agency was instrumental working alongside Texas lawmakers in passing an ordinance for the relocation of wild or abandoned bees that do not threaten human or animal health or interfere with the normal use of enjoyment of public and private property. And then in 2015, AHBPA worked diligently with the legislative session to help pass the statewide resolution making the Western honeybee the state pollinator of Texas, an overdue honor which Walter's organization and all of us at Truth for Health Foundation that are supporting his work hopes that this will bring more awareness to the importance of bees in the state and I would say across the Southwest because if I can figure out a way to find the manpower to help, Warner has said, uh, Walter has said he could put 20 beehives on my own property. So we'll see where that goes. But the American Honey Bee Protection Agency has continued the work of bee rescue and relocation. In fact, Walter will tell you about a recent <clears throat> rescue from the caves, I think maybe in New Mexico, but he'll clarify and providing wild bees to residential and commercial clientele, pushing for ordinances and legislation that better protect the precious honeybee and develop programs that integrate wild bees in urban context. So for any of you who want a true gourmet treat with what I consider, and I've tried lots of wild honeys and raw unfiltered honeys, and we have lots of good ones, here in Arizona, which I've, Josh knows I've got a whole collection of local Arizona ones, but I will tell you, I have never had a honey as rich and flavorful and incredibly good as the ones that Walter prepares. And he'll tell you about what makes his unique, but they're available at greensunamifoods.com. So maybe Josh, you can type the website in the link and the website for the American Honeybee Protective Associ uh, Agency. So with, with all of that background about Walter, who may be a little shy promoting his own horn, but I wanted to let all of you know why this is such an important endeavor for the foundation to be exposing what's happening to the bees, because it really is true that their survival does affect our lives because they affect the life indirectly of everything on the planet. And it's very alarming what is happening to them. There's another documentary some of you may want to look at called The Vanishing Bees. And that's a separate one, but Walter, thank you for joining us tonight. And we really are looking forward to hearing you just talk to us about your love affair with the bees and why it's so important that all of us take it seriously that they are their populations are being decimated by the environmental damage. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, first, uh, you laid out a lot about what I do, and and it all started 
not because I wanted to work with honeybees, but because a friend of mine said he was a beekeeper. And in that, um, uh, we started the company, like you said, uh, Central Texas Bee Rescue. Uh, and on about day seven, uh, a farmer ran his tractor into a tree and that tree had a beehive. And instead of fleeing, that farmer decided to stay and fight the bees and the bees won. And so since we were the only group of people that relocated honeybees, uh, the news uh, picked us up at that time period and didn't stop uh, using our name. And so we received like 400 uh, people that said they needed help. And and so I booked their uh, extraction. And the guy, David, who was going to save the world, uh, said he quit because it was way too much work. And so I, because I'd given my word uh, to these people, uh, felt that it was necessary to, on the least, care for them. And by the time I got their work done, there were 400 more people. And it was like the bees would not let me quit working. Uh, and so, and each and every time that it was, uh, times became somewhat desperate or uh, over, you know, to where bills were piling up, the bees would provide uh, something that would create a very large windfall and would continue to keep me in the beekeeping. And so from that, I came up with the phrase meant to be. Now, surely I didn't come up with the phrase meant to be, but when you spell it B-E-E, -E, I, I think that's mine. And so, and, and so I think the world uh, does things for us when we're on the right path and, and shows us that we're supposed to be uh, in the place we're supposed to be. And I, I think that's how I got here. <clears throat> anyway, so in that, I started just to rescue honeybees. And so what happens when you have hundreds of boxes of honeybees is that you end up with thousands of pounds of honey. And so, but there was another thing that was happening. See, so in an act of compassion, I rescue bees. And so all of their food is left in whatever the hive was there. Now, I could leave the food there as a waste product, or I could take the food and process it. The amazing thing about taking honey from a wild beehive is that no person uh, helped that bee create the flavor. No one fed it corn syrup or sugar water or fruit or anything. The bees solely foraged on their own, and that's honey how they made it taste, not how we have anything to do with the taste. Now, once I catch the bees, <clears throat> I do all kinds of things like feed them watermelon and, and things, and, but that's my co-op honey. So uh, that's not the wild. And so in the process of the wild, uh, everything is solar melted. And so in the honeycomb, you have wax and the wax is the structure of the hive and everything is stored within or in the wax. And once you melt the wax, it releases uh, all the beneficials, the pollens, the propoluses, the royal jellies, uh, every possible uh, beneficial food uh, that is in that honey, besides just the honey, comes through in my wild. And then the, the wax solidifies, uh, and so it just removes itself. Well, you remove it, and, and the two are separate. So, But in solution of the wild honey are all the beneficials, the propoluses, the pollens, the royal jellies, the bees bread. Uh, most honey, only a beekeeper that has a, a, a vice that he smashes his honey down in uh, will have bees bread. Uh, and nobody has it on a commercial 
a level. I I do because the amount of work we do. And, you know, I mean, in Texas, I do some days up to four removals, not just myself, uh, but I have two, sometimes three people that are helping me. And as we get bigger, uh, then we will, we put more people in place and we train people. Now we just got a, a Veterans Administration uh, OJT approval through the GI Bill. So I can now train uh, veterans in what I do. And so that's a really beautiful thing as well, in my opinion, because our government has a hard time with giving uh, things like Zoloft to veterans instead of trying to heal their mind. And honeybees, uh, in a strange way, take you to a very similar place of fight or flight, uh, except for with honeybees, in, if you were with me, we would go back and have some fun and laughs instead of whatever you saw on the battlefield. And so, but it takes you to the same place mentally, so it allows you to bring it down. And so, so that's kind of what I do. I, I rescue bees, and from rescuing bees, I get honey. And instead of throwing away what a, 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 somebody that kills bees would throw away, uh, I take it and, and make sure that it's recycled into food. And to me, it's the best food on this planet uh, because they made it. And so... So that's how that goes. Now, bees, uh, on the flip side, I heard you talking about electromagnetics. Uh, bees work on an electromagnetic pulse. Uh, uh, the reason I don't have to wear, and I didn't know this at the time, I only knew that it was very, very hot, and I no longer wanted to wear a bee suit. Uh, I know now, though, that they work on this electromagnetic pulse, and our hearts are an electromagnetic pulse. And so the bees know if you are a danger to them, and your fear to them is a danger because they don't understand fear, but they know that you're either peaceful or or a danger to them uh, by your electromagnetic pulse. And so I tell people to be the tree all the time because bees live in trees and trees move and quake and make noises, but bees don't sting trees. Uh, and so that's because their pulse uh, is 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 a good frequency for the bees. And so that's how we got here. We got here by uh, rescuing one bee and then two bees. I think I have uh, close to 2,500 beehives now in America, Mexico, and Hawaii. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, bees, uh, the way they work with you is, is, is a very amazing thing. Uh, they don't truly have speech, but they have patterns and, and they have sounds. And so in that, uh, you can learn who and what they are. Uh, and at the same time, you can allow them to know what you are through uh, the fact that you're an animal. I mean, most, most of us have forgotten because we're so smart that we are animals. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. And so once you're there, uh, you, can, you can work with bees and, and you can have honey and, and, and you can do all kinds of wonderful things. So, where else are we? Oh, great. Sorry, um, oh. I to avoid sound intrusion. I'd like to have you talk a little bit more about some of the aspects about what, what you're doing with the different flavors that you have available because I, I thought that was fascinating when I was looking at the different options on your website. And I've just gotten my shipment of the honey that I ordered in some different flavors. 
and I, I'm looking forward to trying them. Right. Okay. So my honey. So when I catch bees, what I like to do with those beehives is is take them to places where the potential for a single source flower uh, is their main food. So if you if I have mango honey. Uh, that's because my bees pollinated mango trees. Uh, if I have mesquite honey, that's because the majority of the uh, of the flowering and nectar that was available is from the mesquite. And again, in in Mexico, there's I have some there's fields of this plant called mame that is a fruit, but it kind of looks like a sweet potato on the inside, and it tastes a lot like a sweet potato. But the honey's crazy and 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 wonderfully tasting, and so. I do add, uh, there are a couple of honeys that I have where I add medicinals uh, into my honey, like I have, which is, it, it's a salty honey because the mangrove uh, tree grows in brine water. And so the nectar is from the brine water and so it's salty. Uh, and so I will mix that with a, a plant called Moringa uh, and let it sit for about six months and then uh, stir it up and then put it into a bottle. Uh, and to me, that's, it's a very medicinal. It, it makes me breathe well. It uh, makes my skin work and, and, and sweat. Uh, and maybe it doesn't make anything. Maybe it just helps my body do all that. And, uh, you know, and then so like I do also use, I, I grow cacao uh, and coffee in Mexico as well. And so I take those two roasted beans and put it into a coffee honey because I grow coffee, I have enough coffee plants to where the bees can pollinate the coffee. And so the majority, now not every flower is the coffee, but I would say it's 75% of the, the makeup of that honey is from uh, that single source and like the coffee. And so I'll mix the coffee with the cacao in the coffee honey, uh, and then it sits for about six months. And so, and that has, if you're tired, a spoonful of that in the morning and you don't need a cup of coffee, uh, it's, it's a, it's a natural stimulant that just, it makes you work. I call it worker honey. And it's when I feel I need to be a worker bee, I have a spoonful. And so, uh, you know, then moringa, uh, turmeric, uh, uh, no, uh, uh, mango, turmeric and red pepper, uh, MTP. Uh, I, I was hit by a forklift <clears throat> in 99 and I have five crushed vertebrae. And so they want to do all kinds of surgery, but I don't want that to happen. Uh, and so that mixture takes the pain away, uh, from my spine. Uh, so the doctors used to give me narcotics and I don't really like those either. Uh, so I stopped taking them. Uh, but, uh, so the, the turmeric, uh, and the red pepper, uh, seem to take away the, the, the swelling and the inflammation. Uh, and that's really good to me now because of these things that I've come about and, the pain, the weird thing is in the name of comfort, uh, we do almost anything. And so to take away things like pain, I came up with uh, the different things that I take in honey. But because of that, I, 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 re I, re I eat mostly raw food. So I eat, hun I, I eat honey, lots of honey, but I eat fruit. Uh, and, and the only thing that I eat that's cooked is meat. And I don't eat a lot of meat, but <clears throat> so anyway, honey kind of, it, it slowly changes you. And they, prior to the honey, uh, I had an A1C of 9.3. And now I have an A1C of 5.9. And I eat a bottle of honey a day. 
So, yeah. So. That's really amazing to see that much change in your A1C, knowing that you're eating honey regularly. Right. But you've, you're, there are a lot of other things you're not eating that elevate glucose and A1C and all of that. So that that's very interesting, Walter, and that supports what some of these newer medical studies are showing. Right, exactly. And to me, the other thing that I've, I, I mean, I, to say I don't eat them is true, and, and to say I've given them up is also partially true. But I would, you know, if I'm hungry for a donut, I'm going to have a donut. So, because that's the kind of person I am. But I, I truly don't eat white foods like sugar and, and flour and potatoes and rice. They're, those are things that I also no longer, and I don't, you don't miss any of that. You don't miss anything sweet because of the honey and the fruit. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's strange how you slowly pick up on maybe what, as again, you know, uh, so as my mom would say, animals under God. So since we are all animals under God, sometimes we forget that we are also animals, regardless of we believe that we have dominion or not. Uh, and this planet gives us everything we need, but it seems like we want to make a whole bunch of stuff that we truly don't need and use a whole bunch of these other products that aren't really necessary so that we can make it bigger and better. But that will segue me into, I heard you talk about GMOs. And so here's the worst, for a honeybee, the worst possible thing for a honeybee is a GMO because GMOs take... Uh, they splice in genetics, uh, like there's a corn uh, that has, and a rice that have the uh, genetics of uh, the neon tetra fish spliced into them. And so this is a plant with protein DNA now. And so the bee comes and it takes the pollen and the pollen collects all on its, and it's the hairs on its arms. And, and now the bee has these pollens that has genetic information for a fish and bees don't eat fish. And so they don't know what to do with it. And so once that pollen is distributed back into their hives, there's a new thing that's happening on this weird little planet where a beehive who's never had a fungus grow on it before now is in inundated with a green fungus because of these places where there are heavy GMOs. Now, again, I'm not a scientist, so I can't prove that. And I don't have research, but with my eyes, I see what happens to the actual beehive. And with my as I also read that they've spliced these genetics and I know that the bees have been playing in these different things. And so if you have a GMO and you have spliced its genetics uh, with a protein source, uh, then nature doesn't know how to deal with that. It's it, it, at least the bee doesn't. And, and, and it shows in its beehive because of the mold that grows uh, this green blue mold that will grow after the truly after the corn season here in Texas. So you have to be you have to be very careful with your bees when corn's all in bloom. Even though corn's a windblown plant, they still light on it. They still take nutrient from it. So yeah, so GMOs are, to me are scary. That's that's very alarming. And then the same principle happens to human beings when when we're seeing the genetic alterations with the COVID shots and the DNA contamination and the mRNA that's being incorporated into, driven into across the cell membrane and into the human cells, that's foreign protein 
and it causes the human body as well to ramp up an autoimmune attack or an attack by the immune system on foreign proteins. But what's happening to people is that it's, it's like putting gasoline on a fire of autoimmune disorders. So there are a lot of parallels to what we're seeing in the human population that is happening to the bees who can't process the foreign proteins in GMO foods. So I think it's a very serious issue. Yeah, I, I find it I find it amazing that uh, in, in Mexico has banned GMOs, but America is still the top dog in the sales and production of GMOs. Exactly. We're also seeing Italy and some of the countries in Europe starting to ban them. So there may be hope for some areas, but it's it's quite alarming, and the the impact on humans has has been catastrophic over my 40 years in medicine, watching what's changing in terms of the rising chronic diseases and diabetes and autoimmune disorders, neurodegenerative disorders. So I, I think Walter, you're, and we may be able to help find some of the research on the molding of honeybees. If we do the molding of the, the honeycomb, and how it's affecting the bees and why. We'll see if we can find some material on that and send it to you. Fantastic, that'd be great. There were a couple of questions um, already in the chat. And the um, one question is, where do you relocate the bees? Where, where do you take them? And how do you transport them? And why don't you tell us about the recent rescue of the bees that that you were asked to remove from the cave system? Oh uh, yeah. So uh, it depends on what county I'm in, uh, or what uh, state I'm in. Uh, uh, so in Texas, I have a bee yard. I have like three bee yards in Dallas, and I have a bee yard in Houston. And I have a couple of bee yards in Austin and I have bee yards in San Antonio and I have bee yards in Brownsville, Texas. So it depends on where the bees come from to where they go, but they go to the shortest distance from where they were uh, taken from. So that's with the bees. And so, and I, we, I transport them sometimes in the front seat of my car because, you know, that's, you know, safer. Anyway, so, uh, so with bees, depends on how close we are to the, to a bee yard uh in the transportation uh and so then the next question would be uh seminole canyon so seminole canyon is uh in west texas uh and it are it's these overhang uh, cliffs and cave system that have thousands of petroglyphs that are that are quite visible uh but there's these because it's a cave system uh there are these uh, gaps and holes and crevices in the roof uh, where the bees uh, took up home, and we didn't we didn't remove the bees. We changed how the bees viewed the world. So the bees had uh, maybe a four foot opening where they could watch uh, movement uh, from twenty feet below, and so the cave system was set up to where one of the most beautiful uh, petroglyphs uh, were in that area. I guess that's it was the nicest area why the nicest paintings were there and it was the best uh, environment for the bees and so what we did was we 
we created a dome uh, in front of the bees uh, with an exit so that the guard bees that were around this four foot hole, uh, what they saw was nothing, uh, no movement. And then there was a, we gave them a, a one inch tube uh, that they could go in and out past that, that new surface. And so instead of them being mad about the people walking below, they now truthfully didn't see them. Uh, and so everything was okay. Maybe like when the conquistadors arrived on the West Coast in Mexico, they couldn't see the boats because they'd never seen the boats before. You never know. But now the bees are, and that took a lot. We had to build four, uh, four flights of scaffold to go about 40 feet in the air for this cave uh, roof to do all this work, like Sistine Chapel, to make it look like it was natural, but the bees could fly in and out and they wouldn't attack the people and the people wouldn't attack them. And now all their plants that needed the bees to pollinate them still have that. And so then we packed, it took, it, uh, it's, it was about three weeks to pack in uh, all the scaffolding and pack out all the scaffolding and then to do the, the, the creation of a new roof line. So. That's just amazing. What an incredible creative solution. Right. Well, thanks to the Texas uh, Parks and Recreation. They're the ones who allowed it. And they said, what would be the best way? And I said, well, let's make a fake reveal for them so they don't see any movement. Uh, and they want to attack you and you want to attack them. And the state said, make it happen. And I said, OK. <laughs> yeah. I think that is a wonderful story. Right. Really a wonderful story. Thank you for telling us that. Um, <clears throat> a couple of, there's some other questions. Um, let's, uh, okay, we answered that one. And someone, Vicki Bayer, has seen your TV series. Ah. And so you might tell everyone where they can access your TV series. Uh, so uh, the show is called Bezar. First word B E E. Second second word C Z A R. Uh, and it was it aired originally on Discovery, and then Animal Planet re-aired it. And I think now it's on Discovery Plus. I know a lot of my friends say it's on Hulu. I, I don't watch much TV. There's, I tell my children it steals your dreams. <laughs> Well, you're right about that. Uh, not much worthwhile, it seems, except shows like yours. Right. Uh, so let's see what else we've got. Um, as Walter, I would like for you to address what you were telling me. Uh, one of the latest trendy things that we see everywhere is Manuka honey, the most potent antibacterial honey in the world. And I was shocked to learn what you shared with me about how Manuka honey is manufactured. Yes, it comes from New Zealand. Yes, Consumer Lab. Kathy found an article by Consumer Lab <clears throat> talking about it and discussing the rating scale for how much of the more potent um, active ingredient it has, but that doesn't address what Walter, you shared with me. So would you explain to our participants what's actually being done 
to increase production of supposedly uh, natural Manuka honey. Right. So it's not just Manuka, uh, all store-bought honey, uh, primarily. Uh, there's a couple of things that they are allowed to stretch. Uh, one is uh, USDA and FDA allow a direct food to be directly added. So in the case of a honeybee, you can feed a honeybee corn syrup. Okay, you want to call your product organic? Cool. Now you feed the bees organic corn syrup. So... Uh, the other thing is is uh, uh, we'll, we'll go to that next. So so back to the manuka and and the corn syrup and and how that works. So uh, so in New Zealand in New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, right? Uh, these areas where they say that manuka is and manuka, from my understanding, is basically a, a, a form of tea tree. It was a it's an antiseptic tree that blooms. And so uh, the area where these trees exist uh, is about the size of our state of Rhode Island, uh, from the best of my understanding and grasp of it. And so Rhode Island couldn't supply Rhode Island's honey, uh, let alone the world's honey. Uh, so what commercial beekeepers do is they truck in large tankers of corn syrup. And in that they feed massively these bees and these bees, uh, you know, they feed. So I call them uh, diabetic second graders because the bees don't have to go more than three feet to drink as much corn syrup as they want. Then they go back and deposit it into the honeycomb and then they go back and get more and they don't fly anymore, uh, et cetera. Now, I've never been to any of the bee yards uh, where the manuka is produced, uh, but again, if you're the size of Rhode Island and you can produce enough honey for the entire world, I question that. And because what I have seen with my eyes are tankers full of corn syrup uh, feeding bees until they produce this honey. Now, because a direct food can be directly added, right? You can now take up to 42%, and I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I read that. 42% of a added food or a direct food can be directly added. So if you have 10 barrels of honey, four of those barrels can just be corn syrup because you fed your bees corn syrup. Uh, and now the 10 barrels of honey have been all added together and the solution is somewhere around 60% honey and 40% corn syrup. Now in the only place that's changed that now is Canada. Two years ago, Canada uh, makes them put corn, I mean, honey syrup on their package. Uh, they can't call it honey unless it's pure honey. Now, America, it's still called uh, honey, regardless of it's only 60% honey. And again, back to Manuka. Okay, uh, how I can't, I, I have probably, <laughs> there's the people in Texas, and Texas I believe is five times the size of Rhode Island. If you took every beekeeper in the state of Texas, you couldn't supply the world's honey. You just can't do it. It's just an impossibility. Now, the other thing that that, that bugs me about the, the honey industry is they mix, they call, it, they call it a proprietary blend. And so all the big guys, they take thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of honey and they mix them together. And if some of it's darker, they hold it back. And if it's, some of it's lighter, they mix it together so they can have this beautiful golden thing. Honey is 
from white to black and rarely is it ever this golden wonder. I mean, there is golden honey, but usually that's from wheat. Wheat makes a wonderful golden honey, but there's not enough wheat uh, grown in America to supply the world with a golden colored honey. I digress. So in this big vat that they mix up this golden singular color of stuff, uh, there's also this two-inch line called an evaporator line or a dryer line. As it goes from raw honey to the piston injector uh, to pump it into the bottle. And so that uh, evaporator line uh, is there to flash boil the honey. Oh, excuse me, flash boil the water off of the honey. Uh, but in the process of flash boiling water, aren't you flash boiling honey? I would, I would think so. And so most of the people that say they're raw are allowed to run their honey through that uh, dryer line, that evaporator line, and still call their honey raw. And so my, my saying with that part is if you look at a bottle of honey and you think it's been on the shelf for at least two weeks, there should be at least 25% crystallization in that bottle or something's had it happen to it. So either uh, corn syrup's been added or it's been uh, flashed through this evaporator tube. And so, but back to, so I have an ADHD brain. So back to the, the, the Manuka. So how is it, let's say Manuka, let's say in that area, in that region, they have 200,000 beehives. That's what we have probably in Texas right this second. So let's say they have 200,000 beehives there that only makes Manuka honey. I don't think it blooms all year round. I, again, I don't know, but it would have to bloom all year round uh, for those several hundred thousand beehives to make enough honey to produce for the world. And so I just, I, you know, there's, there's other things that happen. There's in China, right? In China, they've found a way to uh, micro filter the honey. So the, the way to tell where honey's from is the geneticists look at the pollen in the honey, right? Uh, so, so, they look and they go, oh, there's this many parts per million of this pollen. Therefore, it has X amount of, of poison ivy, X amount of citrus, X amount of hemp, X amount of whatever is in there, right? So the Chinese have found a way to microprocess their honey and remove all forms of pollen. So you, it's, you don't know what it is. It's honey. It, it's full of dextrose sugars, milk sugars. Uh, but it is added to the world's honey supply because they produce so much honey. See, so the sad thing about honey is a lot of it comes from uh, China, but it's been microprocessed and microfiltered. So uh, did I answer that question? <laughs> yes, that was, was really very, very helpful. And quite frankly, given the massive problem with obesity and insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, diabetes in the United States, with all of the foods fortified in high fructose corn syrup, there is no way that I would want to recommend honey derived from bees fed high fructose corn syrup. It, it does, nor would I want to recommend any honey um, that has added high fructose corn syrup. It defeats the whole purpose of the natural sugars, the complex sugars in honey. So 
I think that's really helpful information. And someone just asked, someone asked the question about uh, what would be the healthiest honey to buy in the grocery store. Quite frankly, after everything I've been reading and what you've said, Walter, I don't think there is a healthy honey in the grocery store. I have one. <laughs> the grocery store is selling local raw unfiltered honey because any of the processed honeys are going to have the same risk you're talking about. True, true. You know, again, it's back to the singer source. You, you have to know what your bees are eating. Uh, and so one of the things I'm working on, and I'm, we just moved into a place in Combs, Texas. Funny because bees keep their honey in combs, and now so do I. <laughs> uh, but it it's with my VA program. And so I'm, in November 11th, we start teaching veterans how to grow food for themselves, how to grow food for bees. And first you have to learn how to grow food for bees because you can't feed it yourself if you don't have bee food, right? And so every berry, every fruit, every vegetable, uh, anything the plant gives you uh, has to be pollinated. And so, so in that, uh, we're about to embark on, uh, if I can make my place in Combs successful, I have a place in Austin. And so then I can have 20 more people growing food and rescuing bees. And so I can grow to each major metropolis in America with people that are growing food and creating honey. Now, some people won't like that, but they're the same people that bring their big trucks full of processed food for the bees. You're exactly right. Um, Walter, there's an interesting post from David Schmidt, and I'd like to read it to everyone, and then I'd like for you and David to discuss this um, and share the, these thoughts with the group. David said, about 2006, I provided to the then head of the USDA bee program upon request, my assessment that the CCD should be investigated as resulting at least in colony collapse disorder, should be investigated as resulting at least in part due to a behavioral disruption of the foraging communication dance mechanism because of hive feeding with sugar and protein supplements. I called it a Cabrini green effect. Thus the bees had too much residence time in the hive. I think we could draw a parallel with humans as too much residence time on the couch. And the bees had an altered social system. Again, fairly parallel with humans. I presented as well a regime of experiments to test the hypothesis. So Walter and David, let's have the two of you discuss that because it ties in with what you said about the bees continuing to feed too much on the high fructose corn syrup. Right. Yeah, now I would, I would, I would add to that in 1992, uh, Bear Crop Science invented uh, a pesticide called the neotonicanoid, uh, uh, which the terminology colony collapse disorder was uh, coined by Monsanto. Uh, so they created the poison 
that caused the disease. And then they named the disease. And I think they think they're wonderful for it. Anyway, Bear Crop Science uh, says they're a, a wonderful organization. But again, uh, uh, wheat, right? From the time wheat is a seed and planted, uh, it is hit with 23 different toxins until the time that it's milled and powdered and put in your bag. So before, when they take the seed and they crush it into the powder for flour, uh, it goes through a conveyor break belt and is sprayed with, with a poison so that you don't get weevils. And then it goes straight to you. So is it, is it celiac disease in truth, or is it the fact that we're being inundated with what our government calls low-level, non-lethal toxins? So, What is the name of that pesticide again that they spray on it? neotonicanoids yeah and so so and that's one of the see what 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 a neonic does is it changes the composition of the plant uh into producing becoming the factory of producing more neonics and so everything in the plant uh the pollen the nectar the sap uh everything from the plant uh has what our government calls a low level non-lethal toxin but that low-level non-lethal toxin is for us, not for the bees. Uh, and now the bees take all those building blocks because it comes from the plant to build their home. And so now we have uh, something similar to the 1980s when uh, the building blocks for all those retirement homes and hospitals were off-gassing radon. So uh, you take all the building blocks that have these neonics in them and you build your house out of it. And now it off-gasses the whole time. So combine that with uh, uh, corn syrup. And again, you do have, I, that's why I call them uh, diabetic second graders. They don't go anywhere. They don't do anything. They just drink uh, and lay around. They don't have a couch. <laughs> so they hang around the hive and, and continue to do less. And, and they go less places because there's no reason to go out and pollinate if the food's there. Because again, their main reason for living is is to advance themselves right so as long as they don't have to go and work for food because if a bee doesn't have to work for food it will kill itself in six weeks or less if it's working every day got to have food but you put it on the corn syrup and now the bee lives for 12 months you know and, and so you're going hmm that's a really long time for that bee to do that why, why is it not doing anything and so and the female the 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 queen she has the ability to last 10 years, but you start feeding them that corn syrup and every two years you got to trade her out because she's erratic now. Why, 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 did, why did something by nature that knows exactly what she's doing, how can we fed her these feeds and these pollen substitutes? Commercial feeders, commercial feeders feed these 50 pound bags of this stuff called uh, pollen feed. And right on the bag, it says this may kill your bees. Uh, and so it's an artificial pollen. So did we get it right? You know, uh, why? When you talk to a commercial beekeeper, he loses 50% or more of his bees every year. Uh, they've become masters of repropagating and splitting beehives. But it's like having the genetics of, of, a, of a sick cow uh, in three more lifespans. Every offspring of that cow is going to have that same disease, right? And so now the bees, are, they're just making sicker and sicker and sicker bees. And on top of that, they put poison. 
they put insecticides in their own hives. So to to yeah. So there's this stuff called apiary, right? And to offset mites because mites came from Asia, and now they, we have these mites and the bees. They're kind of vampirish. They they attach and they suck off the juices of the bee, uh, and they will wipe the hive out. So what a beekeeper does to offset that is use this toxin called apiary, and it will kill the mites, but will only make the bees a little sick. And you can only leave it in your hive for two weeks. And I ask, well, why don't you just dust the entire hive with powdered sugar? Then the bees will clean themselves uh, and remove their the mites themselves. But that's too intensive. That's too much work. So they'd rather put poison in. It's all about comfort. They're everybody's so lazy. They want to sit on the couch. They hey, they want their bees to sit on the couch now. <laughs> yeah. You know, Walter, listening to you speak, I'll never buy another commercial honey the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I, you know, my friend uh, talks because it's Halloween, uh, you know, uh, so milk sugars are when Chinese honeys are tested, milk sugars are very uh, prevalent in, in their uh, C4s and three, C3s and all the different sugar makeups. Right. And so my friend who's a beekeeper makes the joke during Halloween, uh, what kind of bees uh, make milk sugar? And everybody goes, bees don't make Milk, he goes, boobies. Anyway, so it's a it's a joke. It's not funny. <laughs> um, David Smith, would you like to comment on um, the what um, you posted and Walter's comments? David Smith, you can. Unmute. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Thank you. I uh, I enjoyed that uh, uh, point that uh, uh, Mr. Schumacher raised. Can you hear me? It's okay. Thank right? you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what I was focusing on, I tend just like in the case of the. Uh, uh, people who are very concerned about you know, hidden frequencies in their television set. I say let's, uh, that might be possible, but uh, let's focus on the obvious problems uh, with what kind of messages are coming out of a television set. Same thing with the honeybees. Uh, of course, I'm concerned about uh, the pesticide problem. Uh, one of the things that we'll need to address to uh, bring back uh, 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 more honeybee pollination is uh, some type of means of getting the farmers to uh, inform the beekeepers that they're planning on uh, using pesticides. Uh, but then getting back to this original point too. So I say one thing that we should look at is just simply the behavior. Uh, if those worker bees, and, and Walter touched on this, uh, if those worker bees are not flying out, uh, finding a food source in a particular place, and then going back to the hive and communicating the direction and the distance to their hive mates, uh, you have a, a disordered system of communication. And communication is a lot of what the honeybee life is 
is about. And not only that, the, the honeybees, the worker bees, go out in, uh, in, uh, in a staged fashion. So when I was doing my research, I, I would paint the bees with, uh, I'd paint them on their back with a, a numbering system of dots and colors. So I could tell which bees were coming out to the feeder. And I would move the feeder at, uh, you know, regular jumps. And uh, you could see that there were, um, there were honeybees who uh, were in, in, it's a, just a statistical distribution, who were the real hard workers. And other bees would only come out if the sugar was really plentiful and very close. So it's just like in human society, you have a whole distribution of individual performance. And so there is for sure a stratification within the bee colony too of uh, the, the different, uh, different types of workers. All of this becomes disrupted when they they don't have to go out and forage. It just comes dripping through the ceiling. Yeah, that's pretty true, I bet. Yes. Also, I wanted to ask uh, Walter, I mean, I've been trying to work in my local area uh, here in uh, Oklahoma uh, to uh, promote the idea of uh, expanding the use of bees uh, uh, among the cotton farmers. Yes. And um, it's claimed, I don't have the evidence for it, but it, it's a repeated claim that uh, honeybee pollination on cotton uh, can improve that yield by 20%. And uh, that's, that's an enormous improvement economically, one-fifth, you know, improvement. Right. Uh, and uh, you know we have the problems. I mean that uh, of the again the pesticides killing the bees. Uh, you, you, we still have the remnants of the boll weevil program here. Uh, I imagine you do too. Yeah. Uh, so they just come by and by force they they spray. Uh, no questions asked. You know. So. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe you could chime in about the the whole cotton and bee connection. Well, yeah, most uh, most things that bees pollinate, uh, it, bees increase the, the ratio of the of the what's produced. You know, be it fruit or or vegetable or cotton. Uh, you know, so uh, in Georgia, I have uh, a friend, uh, a gardener Aperis, and uh, he does a lot of organic cotton farms. Uh, and cotton honey is really nice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, I like it a lot. It's it's not too sweet. Uh, it, it's, it has some savory notes to it. Uh, but again, bees used to pollinate cotton all the time. And you alluded to the problem and it's the boll weevil thing. Now, of course, I guess the cotton wouldn't grow without that. But I was called to a farm uh right outside of Houston and the lady had thousands of acres and said, I used to see bees everywhere and now I don't see bees. And we walked around one of her farms and I listened to her foreman talk about uh, the bow weevil program. And, and I asked him for a shovel and we went out into the field and we turned over oh, 30, 40 
shovels full of dirt. And we didn't see a bug. There was no pill bugs. There was no roaches. There were no worms. There were no beetles. There was nothing alive in their soil. Mm-hmm. And so in, in, in my mind, if, if nothing's alive in that dirt, nothing's going to be alive in the air. And the only thing that was alive in the air were gnats and mosquitoes. So, uh, you know, and they still spray for them. And it didn't do anything. And so, you know, again, back to comfort. You know, on this planet, we we try to live for comfort. And so we'll kill anything in our path just so we can continue to have that comfort regardless of the outcome. And so uh, how are the people that are doing the cotton in Georgia doing it organically without uh, all the toxins in their soil? Uh, if, you know, is it necessary? I don't know, uh, you know. But again, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, uh, hbpa.org, uh, you know, we'll figure out a way to uh, remember about three years ago when there was a big truckload of bees wrecked out on the freeway. Yeah. Your governor called me to come get them. Uh-huh. And, so, and so I did. That was pretty cool. And so I could come back into I could come back into Oklahoma and, and help if I had a place to go. See, right. my whole thing is, is if, if I have a place to go and a home to take my bees, I'll take them there. You know, and so, again, there's I mean, there's cactus in Arizona that I'll bet uh, if I had bees there during their flowering time would produce a honey that is very medicinal. Back to medicinal honey. Again, I told you all I have an ADHD brain. Uh, I have a feeding process that is in the patenting world right now. And uh, and I feed I feed a lot of things to bees. Again, back to the people, a direct food could be directly added. Uh, in America, from the cheaters, I learned that you could feed your bees something without saying that this is added. So I, there are mushrooms that I, I grind and powder and I put in to wax and, and honey and all the different elements that come in my, you know, that I, I get when I boil my wax and all the different pollens, et cetera. Uh, and, and so I feed that solution to the bees and the honey that they make. Uh, I have a friend that says it reduces, it, it has her in remission, you see. So these, the, the honeybee can take foods uh, and, and use them and turn them into complete medicine. See, the reason uh, honey from corn syrup isn't horrible, uh, although, you know, if you were to drink a bottle of corn syrup every day that'd be horrible but it's not horrible because the bees transform uh this thing in their stomach now is it what the nectar was no but it's really close now does that fool your body uh into other things probably uh but again uh that's how i came up with some of the feeding uh systems that i have for my bees i don't like to feed bees uh because i don't think it's our job but I know, see, I used to try to take bees to, to vineyards because vineyards uh, always had uh, summer fruits, right? And they would have nice, they would have flowers in June. And so I was like, hey, I need to be there. You got June flowers. You got July fruit. That's really groovy. The, 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 the vineyards would say, no, we don't want your bees because your bees bust open our fruit in July and they deplete the, the, the grape population. And so then I, from that, I was like, well, if they're eating fruit on their own, let me feed them. And so now, like my local stores, the HEB, 
they'll save pears for me. They'll save apples for me. Uh, they'll save most fruit uh, other than citrus for me because I don't want citrus. Uh, the bees don't like it. It it uh, creates alcohol. And when they drink the alcohol and they go back to their hive, the guard bees kill them. So it's not beneficial in any way. But when it bees, there's a thing called dearth, right? So dearth, the end of July, beginning of August, where there's no nectar, if there's no food, the bees leave. And that's why commercial beekeepers feed and feed and feed and feed and feed. So the bees don't look around for food. Bees naturally want to chase nectar uh, because there are not flowers that sustain them uh, annually in the same place. That's why they really hate commercial beekeepers, really hate African bees. And I really like African bees because African bees don't care about your food. Uh, they will leave anyway, but next year, They'll come back at the same time if you leave their house alone. You see, right. and they'll and they'll produce until there's no food, right? And so the other thing, again, back to feeding, I started figuring out if I want to keep bees around, I got to learn how to feed them, right? Which is why I figured out a way to start planting food and produce food year round for us that is also food year round for them. And so I can keep African bees around. Uh, almost year round now. They'll leave in they'll leave in January because yeah. it's too cold. It's too cold. They'll go south again, and then come February, end of February, they'll be right back. Yeah. Can I squeeze in two quick comments and then sure. I'll let let somebody else. Um, one thing I the other thing I didn't mention uh, when criticizing uh, the board free feeding of bees was the trucking of bees, which is also just disastrous for. Of course, their behavior. Um, but then uh, about the uh, African Africanized bees, I'm glad you added that comment. My uh, the guy who trained me uh, in my dissertation work, I did work on uh, uh, honeybees orienting in magnetic fields um, uh, as <clears throat> as a cue. Uh, well, anyway, the fellow who trained me had spent a year in uh, Brazil working with a colleague of his who brought this is the fellow Walter Kerr who brought the the Africanized bees to the uh, New World um, and so he would go down and work with uh, large just rows of you know Africanized bees and uh, my this advisor of mine he he claimed that it, it was perfectly possible to work among them. Uh, one little trick they did was to have them uh, have uh, like hedge bushes in between uh, the the uh, hives, so that you weren't uh, you weren't disturbing one hive or bumping it, whatever, when you were working with uh, another one. So uh, he he was all for the Africanized bee. So yeah, so African bees uh, target motion just like every honeybee. And uh, the reason the thing we put in the top of the cave uh, worked was because we stopped uh, their visual uh, sighting of motion. Because again, uh, you're a bear. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not a human to them. You're a big animal that they think is going to attack their hive and take their food because they know, I think they know that you don't produce food. So that's the one key thing about bees that, that that I think they know about almost every other entity on this planet is that they don't make their own food. They're always taking the bees' food. Yeah. And so 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, I personally like uh, mean. I call them. I, I don't. I don't have a microscope, and so I don't dissect bees and look in their mitochondria. So I can't tell you what's an African bee and what's an Eastern European bee uh, without doing such. But I call meaner bees. I said they probably have African tendencies because they're mean. And I call docile bees weak commercial bees because they're not going to make it without a commercial beekeeper. So African bees don't need us. Uh, and they are, you know, they put up a fight. Uh, commercial bees uh, need beekeepers or they'll die. Uh, so they have to be fed. They, they can no longer survive in the wild. And so that's why I like wild bees so much is because they don't need us. Uh, I'm only moving them because somebody in the name of comfort wants to kill them uh, because uh, it's not comfortable to live in their house anymore uh, because they're so afraid of the bees. And the bees wouldn't do anything to them if they weren't afraid of them. Uh, because the bees pick up on the fear uh, and and go, oh, because they don't understand fear. They're not afraid of you <laughs> at all. And so they smell your fear and they go, oh, my God, this aggression, this, this big giant bear wants to take my stuff. And the whole time you're going, oh, get away from me. And you're moving and swatting your hands. And that is what they target is that motion. And so they're targeting your motion, thinking you're the aggressor. Uh, when you're scared and you just want to get away and they tell the girls, hey, here we, we got one. Let's get this thing. Let's get them away from our hive. And so, you know, in the name of comfort, we're we, we're afraid we get we want comfort. So we want to kill the bee. But in truth, uh, there's a scientist guy that says every third bite of food. I think it's every second bite of food. I think 66 percent of all of our food comes from the honeybee. Because if we look at it, the protein, if the bees didn't pollinate a lot of the grasses, then the cows and the bison and the deer wouldn't feed. You know, that's like, I, again, I, I didn't get to check my research, uh, but there's a populist and he speculates that 18 months after the demise of the honeybee, uh, so we follow. Uh, and the reason behind that is that there will be no large protein animals left on this planet in 18 months because the second season of the grasses will not have grown. And so the feed will, will not have happened. And so uh, all that livestock will either die by itself uh, or will be wiped out because it will be losing so much weight that it will have no value at market. So, and there's not enough people that with little brushes to crawl around in the trees and pollinate uh, the plants. That's what they do in China right now to, for the cherry groves. Walter? There are a couple of interesting questions. Um, Alice has asked, what about bee pollen? Is it healthy? She says she eats it every day. Some people have said that eating bee pollen aggravates allergies. Others have said it helps allergies. So what are your thoughts about that? So I... I think that the body understands food, right? So the reason you have allergies is because there's an irritant floating in the air and you breathe it through your nose and your body says, oh, this is an alien body. Let's attack it, right? But if you put it in your mouth and swallow it and you start to salivate and your body goes, oh my God, this is food. This is good. Systemically, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I think that systemically your body starts to adapt to that irritant and instead of sending out antibodies to attack it, uh, incorporates it as a food. So have you ever noticed when you put honey in your mouth, it's a sticky, sugary substance. 
that instead of your mouth being bogged down and 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 stuck with this goo, your mouth immediately starts to force salivation onto your mouth, and and it feels like you drank a glass of water. And so your body, I think, back to the we're all animals, uh, the 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 body understands food, uh, and through your nose, through your through your nose, it understands irritants, uh, intrusions. Through your mouth, it understands intake of food, and I think your body works that way. And so I think that I don't like. See, my honey has so much pollen that I don't need to collect pollen from a bee. It it. It, pollen collection happens with these little barbs as the bee goes into the beehive. Uh, and so it nicks their legs. And after a long term, uh, you know, if you really don't care about your bees, you'll just leave the thing on and, and you know, you not care just because you're making money. Uh, so in a long term, pollen collection hurts the beehive. Uh, and in, in real terms, uh, uh, pollen, I think, uh, taken systemically, uh, removes your allergies. Because the only thing I'm allergic to at all is mold uh, at this point in my life. So, uh, and that's not that big of a deal anyway. And I'm going to figure out a way to feed them mold and have them make honey for me. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Um, Laura asked the question, what is your purpose for storing your honey for six months? And do you use natural remedies for mites like thymol? So for mites, uh, I use powdered sugar. So I take a powdered sugar uh, and I take a, a weed a blower, a grass blower, and I call it uh, a powdered sugar bomb. And I take the top of their hive with a round part cut out of the top board and a bag of sugar, powdered sugar, and a leaf blower and crank it on and explode all that powdered sugar all over the hive. And so then those bees then clean each other and remove the mites themselves. So that's what, that's, that's what I do with, with mites. What was the other question? Oh, six months on the honey. So I store, so, so in order for the, uh, for the, like the Moringa to, to marry with, with the mangrove, right. To, to, to merge, and, and to to give its beneficials back and forth it, time you know it, it it's it, they sit there together in time and they age and and the and the product the honey crystallizes around uh the 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 merengue or the turmeric or the red pepper and in the process of that then the honey uh pulls out uh, the beneficials that are in that so and and the the reason my thought on that and again I'm not a doctor or scientist. These are all just thoughts in my head. But my thoughts and the reason I do that is because in Africa, if you get your hand cut off, uh, you are sutured and your hand is placed in a coffee can of honey uh, for approximately six hours, right? And then at the end of that, that liquid has almost dried and crystallized. Now, did the liquid go into your body? I don't know. I, I don't know what it does exactly. But I do know that all the liquid honey becomes just a sugarized crystal around that stump, right? And then they bandage it, right? And so so I've never had my hand cut off in Africa, but I did fall into a manhole thing that was, I didn't fall all the way in. It was 20 feet deep. I fell to my shoulders 
and caught myself. But it was a block, brick-lined tube. And as I fell, my legs went out. And I cut very deep grooves into both of my uh, my calves. And, and uh, uh, so uh, they were about eight inches long and about a half inch deep. And I, the blood stopped and I was like, well, I'm going to try this. And so I packed my leg, both of those, it looked like tiger claws down the sides of my leg. And I packed them in honey uh, for six nights in a row. Uh, and the scars, the whole, the, the wound was gone in eight days. And now I have little white things. And each night the liquid honey crystallized into just sugar on my leg and the liquid all went away. So, uh, yeah. So, so in that process of what the honey takes into it, and I'm guessing the honey, uh, into that crystallization thing, the honey pulled in the bad, right. And, and then my body took in the good. So very much, uh, in that very same way with the merengue or the turmeric and the honey, when the honey married is in a marriage, right. When they're joined, uh, with the with the with the with the powder or the root or the or the pepper, uh, they share uh, what they have with each other, uh, and then in that crystallization it comes this crazy cool bond, and to me that's medicine. So, and I, I you know I don't really do much Western medicine, doesn't seem to help. Well, there there is a lot of of good information in, in the medical research about honey for wound care, Walter. So what you did is certainly um, that there's, there's a lot of good studies to support that's use. And the other thing that I think is really interesting that you really haven't talked about and we should before you leave, before the program concludes, and that is your honey medipacks that you were. I bought some of those, and and I wanted to have you talk about that. Oh, the straws. Yes. Yeah. Well, the straws are are are, are you know we use different. Again, the moringa, the turmeric, the red pepper. Uh, we use those different things. I, I have some. I don't have them right now, but I have some with the with the turkey tail in it. Uh, and so, you know, what they do for me is okay. is it's like a daily, right? That straw, if my back is really hurting, I can do a daily of the moringa uh, and and the and the turmeric each, right? And so those are that, that's yeah. So that's what the medicinal honey is, and 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 the medicinal honey comes from the way I feed. And well, the newer ones. So the the ones that we're about to release are the ones with the turkey tail in it, but that's the bees eating it, not me adding it. Right now, all I have is me adding. Very soon, I will have the bees eating and then making the honey. So that's and, and again, the government's making me jump through a bunch of silly hoops. But you know, okay. So yeah, so that's that's the whole deal. So you know. Uh, you know, I, the wound care is is a beautiful thing. And then again, back to my thoughts of systemic, uh, you know, uh, is the, you know, the more we can intake and our body heals itself, 
to me is is the smarter uh, way to proceed on this planet. You know, like, I mean, I'm 60, right? And so every day uh, I get up at about six in the morning and I work until about, well, time to cook dinner for my kids. And then I cook for my kids and then I go work more. Like after this, uh, I'm going to go to the warehouse and, and pack honey. Not because I'm, you know, drinking lots of coffee, but because my body now, uh, that's what it wants to do. And I didn't really get sick. Uh, and so, and, and the, here's the weirdest thing about, see, again, back to, I said in the very beginning of this, that I coined a thing called meant to be. I think that uh, when I look on the ground and I'm looking for a pair of pliers and they're there, that was a meant to be moment because those, were they truly there or did the world manifest them for me uh, because it would make it easier? It doesn't matter. It makes me happy uh, the same way. And so in that, the way I eat now is is better for my body. And I think maybe the world should pick up on it, but it's, it's you know, again, I, I eat a lot of raw food and I work all day. I'm not ever really tired uh, and I get stung. And, and the bees, when, 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 when my body starts to hurt, Bees will sting me in in on their own. Uh, so like with I have a torn rotor cup, right? And so it's been irritating me the last week because I've been moving lots of heavy boxes, right? A bee box weighs around 100 pounds, and I've moved several hundred of them this last week. Anyway, uh, in moving boxes, right? Uh, in other than two days ago, it was very hot in Texas, and so again, I don't wear a suit, and I wasn't wearing a shirt, and around my shoulder where it hurt. Uh, all of a sudden the bees started stinging me, you know, and of course it's an inconvenience. And at first you're like, Oh, why is this happening? But then the second part of it is, Oh yeah, my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. And so, and they don't, and they, so they, they sense. Yeah. So bees themselves, you, you talked about uh, bee venom. Bee venom is, is amazing stuff. And so uh, now I do collect bee venom uh, and very soon we will have uh, a bee venom available. Uh, because in the medicinal world, uh, there are, I think there are studies right now that are showing that uh, uh, the bee venom blocks uh, the replication uh, in viruses and in cancer cells. And again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, if that's true, then more power. And I know that my body uh, should break down, uh, but instead uh, I get stung. And I, so this finger, right? This finger was crushed. I don't know if you can see it, but it was crushed by a pipe and the whole finger exploded and it used to not move. It was stuck because the tendons were ruptured and all that stuff. And so it was just a straight finger. And then I started working with bees 16 years ago. And my friends used to say, hey, stop pointing at me. All kidding, because my finger didn't not point. And then I started working with bees and my friend Rick goes, hey, dude, you're not pointing at me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And we both looked at my finger and it was working again. It was moving back and forth and it hadn't moved in five years. And so then the bees would sting it and sting it and sting it uh, through the glove. And then it started working again. And so again, I, I think bee venom is, is an amazing thing. Very interesting. Um, and we'll talk more about that in upcoming programs. Thank you for joining us today on the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation.
check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. We urge you to sign up for our email alerts, donate to support our legal defense work to secure the human and civil rights secured by law, and to live our lives in accordance with the U.S. Constitution and God's truth. We are here to bring you hope and solutions for such a time as this with all that is assaulting our way of life. Join us and stand strong against the lies and deception and speak out, get loud, get involved. God bless you. And thank you for joining us.